preaching is a lot like an experience that I had uh, two days ago or two evenings ago with my grandson Judah. Um, I burnt my finger uh, right at the knuckle on my index finger of my left hand. I burned it on uh, grill, uh, grilling. I wasn't working, don't worry. <laughs> I was grilling. And uh, I just accidentally touched it, and it was hot, and it burnt my finger. Well, Judas saw it, and he said, Oh, Pop, what happened to your finger? I said, Well, I, I got a boo-boo. I heard it. And he took his finger, and he says, Does this hurt? <laughs> As he pushed it right into it. <laughs> Uh, I said, no, it doesn't hurt. Sometimes preaching is like that. We find an area and we push and says, does this hurt? I hope not this morning as we open the Word of God. And I have, over the last couple of weeks, dealt with some very important Bible doctrines. I'm calling this series Bible Doctrine for Bold Believers or Bold Disciples. We've looked at the doctrine of the security of the believer, eternal security, a precious doctrine to those of us that are born again and that study the Scripture and see God's securing love. Aren't you glad it's not loose and fancy and free and can be lost, but it's eternal. Then last week, as we looked at the doctrine of the priesthood of the believer that we have direct access to God. We don't have to go through some clergy or through someone else. Ministers do have the privilege of proclaiming the gospel and the, the truth of the scripture, the word of God. But eternal security and then priesthood of the believer are ours and show us that we have direct access to God. Then this morning I want to examine the doctrine of sanctification. I've chosen these three on purpose. For I believe these are three of the most abused teachings in the Word of God for believers. Abused not by the lost, unbelieving world, but abused by professing Christians that'll take the doctrine of eternal security and say, once saved, always saved. <laughs> I'll live like I want. I walked an aisle when I was 12 and I can live like the devil the rest of my days. Once saved, always saved. That's an abuse of what the Word of God teaches. I pray that you don't live that. If, if that's your life and your belief, then I hope I'm pressing on a sore. Some take the priesthood of the believer. While the Bible teaches that we uh, can come boldly to the throne of grace, many are saying, as one deacon in a former church said, I'm busy, preacher. I need you to read the Bible for me. I work 60 hours a week and I don't have time to get into the Word. I need to know that my pastor is praying for me. That's an abuse of the doctrine of the priesthood of the believer. You have direct access to God. And this, then this morning, the doctrine of sanctification. The sanctification of the believer. We'll talk about what it is in a moment, but I see abuse in the sense that many don't care whether they are set apart unto God. Many do not pursue a life of holiness. 
a life of purity. And so today I desire to address this one that is abused. And may God speak to us. Maybe there's a sore that he wants by the Spirit of God to speak to. Let's read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Knowing how important doctrine is. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for first and foremost. It is profitable for doctrine. We know that word means teaching. And so if you're of the mindset that, well, I don't want doctrine. Just give me a pep talk. Just lift me up. Give me inspiration. Well, I, I pray, I find doctrine to be very inspiring. Because it's the Word of God. And it's what God says. But let's look at sanctification in the words of the Spirit-inspired words of Paul to the Thessalonica church. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own life, body, vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has given also, who has also given us His Holy Spirit. Blessed be the word of the Lord. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. And in these verses we are introduced to the doctrine of sanctification. The matter of sanctification... And holy living is neglected today, unfortunately, by many. Uh, we live in a society that embraces anything goes. If it feels good, do it. That's the world, unfortunately, that we are living in. There's little accountability. Churches that don't want to stand on holiness, righteousness, Let's accept anybody, everybody. Let's ignore what's going on in lives. Do we set ourselves up as a judge? No. What the Scripture judges, though, we must adhere to. And not to the issues of what man thinks or feels. The great importance of sanctification is underscored as we see the references throughout the Word of God in the usages of words like holy, sanctified or sanctification, purity, it underscores for us the great important truth of biblical holiness. 
And then in passages like what we've read this morning in 1 Thessalonians, and verse 3, underscore it in your mind, notice it again, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. It is God's will that you and I, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, be sanctified. Sanctification, my friend, is not some separate step that someone gets a second blessing or something like that or, or some unction later. I mean, obviously the Spirit of God moves in, in ways and, and we are an emotional being and maybe that accompanies in it uh, for, for you or for me or some way. But the matter of our sanctification, we need to understand what the Scripture teaches on this, the doctrine of sanctification. So I want to begin this morning with a definition of sanctification, and we'll talk to some technical matters here, but then I'll give a description out of these verses, a description of sanctification. First, the definition. The word sanctified, you know this, I hope, that it means set apart. In the Greek language, uh, I know a little Greek, uh, he runs a restaurant, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's okay to know what the words mean if it helps us to understand better. The word in the Greek is hagios, and it means holy. Holy. This is a doctrine of holiness. What is the will of God? Verse 3, your holiness. So we need to understand sanctification and, and what is there. Sanctification is the gracious work of God in setting the believer apart for God and for His work. Sanctification is the gracious work of God. That means He does it for us if it's grace to an extent. Sanctification is the gracious work of God in setting apart the believer for Himself and for service to the world. Ministry. It's the application of the work of Christ to our daily lives. It is the living out of life that is in union with Christ. Think of those terms, or though, uh, in terms of sanctification, think of those descriptions or definitions, if you will. Now, the Bible speaks of sanctification in three different tenses. There's a past Sanctification, present sanctification, and a future sanctification. It's important we understand that because people get messed up when they start applying the uh, past to present and saying that's how we can live any way we want to. Past sanctification, or as some have defined it, it's definitive sanctification, or positional sanctification. We are in Christ and therefore we are set apart. We are holy, past, set apart from sin's penalty, set apart in the past. Positional sanctification. When you trusted Christ, the minute you believed, the minute you were regenerated, the minute you were born again, you were set apart positionally. And nothing can take that away. It's as secure as the doctrine of eternal security. You as a believer are positionally in Christ, set apart unto Him. Don't let anyone teach you otherwise. That's the teaching of the Word of God. 
We'll address that in just a moment, a couple of passages that we think about in that sense. But definitively, positionally set apart from the, in the past when we believed. But then there is what we'll call progressive sanctification. That is the daily application. That is daily being set apart. Some call it practical sanctification. Some call it progressive sanctification. But it is that daily being set apart from sin's power. Positionally, when we believe upon Christ, when we are born again, we are set apart from sin's penalty. Paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary in a work done 2,000 years ago. Positionally set apart. Progressively, practically, day by day, as we yield to the Holy Spirit, we are being set apart. Is that your experience? That's where so many of us fail. And that's what I want to address for the most part this morning is progressive or practical sanctification. I think it's abused uh, among believers but we are being saved from sin's power. And the third aspect, or the third tense of sanctification, future tense, we will be saved one day from sin's presence. It's it's final sanctification. It's what some call glorification or perfect sanctification. So you've got positional, practical or progressive and then perfect sanctification. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 says, When we see Him, we shall be like Him. We'll no more have to yield to sin's power. Or have to be tempted in that respect. We'll be as He is. Some discuss this in terms of imputed righteousness, positional sanctification, that when we believe upon Christ, His righteousness, His holiness is imputed to us. Praise God. When He looks at me, that's what He sees. But as well, there is imparted righteousness, progressive or practical sanctification. Progressively, we're growing and being what? Conformed to the image of Christ. Is that your experience? Is that what's happening? One day there will be a perfect sanctification when either through the rapture or either through death that we will be like Him and see Him as He is as well. The old uh, Puritan J.C. Ryle said, No holiness, no heaven. No holiness, no heaven. Now, obviously, J.C. Ryle and others, he's speaking of positional because if, if you can work somehow or another to get holy, and then that'll get you to heaven, then that's salvation by works. But he's speaking positionally. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace and holiness. Then modifying or speaking to holiness, he says, without which no one will see the Lord. So there's an aspect where you need holiness. Well, that comes through believing upon Christ and having imputed to you, credited to your account, His holiness, His perfect righteousness. 
Hebrews 12, 14. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. You've got the work of the, uh, the Spirit of God in setting you apart to salvation. That's, again, positional Sanctification. Second Thessalonians 2.13 is talking about positional sanctification. The imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the work of the Spirit in your salvation and in my salvation. Chosen by God from the beginning. Who by the Spirit were set apart unto salvation. But then you have your responsibility in there as well. What? And belief in the truth. So we're not... You know, fatal, we're not to, uh, to say that there's no responsibility. I, and I, the Lord enables us to believe, but nonetheless. So both of those passages, 2 Thessalonians 2.13, Hebrews 12.14, speak to positional sanctification. But passages like what we've read in 1 Thessalonians 4 speak to progressive or pra- uh, practical sanctification. That daily sanctification. Uh, Colossians 3, verses 8 through 10 speak of progressive or practical sanctification as well as this passage. Colossians 3, verse 8, But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to, you, according to the image of him who created him. You put off and you put on. This is a practical matter. In the matter of salvation, it's the work, it's passive. In other words, you don't do the work, Christ does it for you and setting you apart positionally. But this is active, not passive. When we read this passage, Colossians 3, 8 to 10, or 1 Thessalonians 4, it's speaking of what you do. And so it's practical, progressive sanctification. It is that imparted righteousness. We still must rely upon the Holy Spirit to to guide us, to strengthen us in pursuing this. But it's what God has called us to do. Too many Christians just shrug their shoulders and and say, well, I'm just an old backslider and and once saved, always saved, so I'll just go on and, and live like the devil, live like the world. That, my friend, is not what positional sanctification brings. You can be out of God's will and certainly do horrendous things. Uh, How strong is the grace of God? It reaches. Uh, The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all sin. And so even as a believer, John was writing to believers in 1 John when he said the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all sin. So, you know, a believer can be out of God's will and do horrendous things. I'm talking about the one that relies upon something uh, that happened as an outward deal and never trusted Christ and therefore they end up going through life neglecting uh, salvation. We want believers who know that God's will is sanctification. That's what the Word of God is teaching. So let's look in 1 Thessalonians 4. And in these eight verses, we have a description. I've given you a definition, I hope, of sanctification. 
Now let's look at a description of it, and I'm focusing mostly on the issue of progressive or practical sanctification. In the first two verses of 1 Thessalonians 4, it's generally agreed that Paul is giving a general description of sanctification. But then in verses 3 through 8, he gives a specific and pulls out one particular area that was plaguing the church in Thessalonica. So, first the general description that we find in our text, verses 1 and 2. Paul is discussing some priorities. Brethren, we urge and exhort, encourage in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. The word abound means uh, uh, something that is uh, exceeding a fixed number. In other words, go on with Christ. Becoming more conformed to His image. There's not some number, some level, some point you reach and stop. Say, whoop, I've arrived, I've made it. That's certainly not at birth of a believer. Being born again, say, whoops, I've made it. And it's certainly not at some point or level. We abound more and more. And here's the expectation. What? That you should walk and please God. How you ought to walk and to please God. That's the expectation. To walk in a way that pleases God. There is an ought to for believers. Are we living there? You say, well, give me evidence of that. Well, Paul said, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the obligation of this general description. He said there are commands for how to live. Now, directly tied to those commands for you, for me, is for us to know them. You'll never fulfill commands that you do not know. You'll never, you'll never walk with the Lord if you don't know what He desires. And what pleases Him. And so Christ, uh, he's, He had given a charge to fulfill, a life to live, a ministry to perform. It was not an option, it was an obligation. Do we see that? Do we live that? Do we fulfill that? So, so sanctification is described generally here just in some general terms, that, that we know how we ought to walk and ought to please God. Generally speaking, he's, he's giving that. But then in verse 3 and following, he gets specific. And specific in one particular area. He begins at verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. The will of God. For your life. These verses speak to the issue of purity. Many people today are seeking the will of God. They'll tell you that I want to know the will of God. It's been my experience, even in my own life, unfortunately, that with the will of God, so often we want it as it relates to comfort. We generally think about, and we've even taught, you need to know God's will for your mate, 
for your mission, for, for your uh, ministry in life, for money. All of those things about comfort. Now, I better marry in God's will or better to live on the corner of a, ro- a rooftop uh, than with, with a contentious spouse. And we want to know because it's uncomfortable if we're out of God's will. So we, too often we only want to know about comfort as it relates to God's will. God, give me the job you want me to have so I can make the most money in the world. And I'll, I'll help others occasionally. You know, I'll be comfortable in my life so that I can help. And that may be good, but it's not best. What should we be concerned about when it comes to the issue of God's will for our life? Not comfort, but conformity. To be conformed to the image of Christ. God, what is the mate for my life if you happen to be searching? What mate do you want me to have in my life that will make me more like Jesus? What job do you want me to have that will make me more like Jesus? How can I earn money or have money or have things that I can be more like Jesus? That's revolutionary because too many want God's will only as it relates to comfort, not to conformity. Preachers are the world's worst at this. We preachers... Too often, uh, somebody asked the question, when was the last time a preacher, that God's will led a preacher to go to another church for less money and smaller church? Isn't it strange that God's will always involves a bigger church and more money for preachers? I think we do a lot and blame God on it. Preachers, now I pick on us, you pick on you. And don't think it's only preachers. Conformity, what did... The scriptures say in the book of Leviticus, Be holy for He wants you to be comfortable. Be holy because He wants you to be happy. Be holy for He is holy. That's the matter of God's will. And so he he speaks to that issue. Again, that was maybe a little bit in a general term. This is the will of God, your sanctification. But then he gets very specific to an issue that was plaguing the Thessalonians. The realm of sexual immorality. The realm of purity. I'll deal with this because it's the Word of God. It's in the Scripture. I I pray that it's no, no sore. I'll speak to that in a moment as well. Look what he says. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. In the Greek society of that day, immorality and promiscuity were rampant. I don't know if it was greater than what we're experiencing in our world today. Uh, It's almost to the point, even with network television, what you could get over the air if you happen to have an antenna that would work in this area. Uh, But... It's getting to the point that you can't watch that in mixed company because we are so promiscuous. And we say, well, it's not as as bad as what they show on Showtime. It's not as bad as what they show on HBO. And so we rationalize it. We make it okay. Look what he's saying. He says that you abstain. The word abstain means to hold oneself from. You avoid it. You refrain from what? Sexual immorality. The Greek word is porneo. It's what we get... The the English word pornography or porn. Um, That you abstain from that. Well, some of you, okay, then I I don't buy that stuff. I don't look at that. 
He's talking about actions as well. All manner of sexual impurity. All manner of of illicit sexual indulgence. Immoral is the way he's describing this. And so he's calling us how to walk, how to please. He's telling us about isolation. Not in the sense of moving away and getting away from everybody, but isolation from impurity. Impurity. A world that promotes and encourages promiscuity is where we are. But we're called to walk, abstaining, fleeing from that, isolation. Secondly, verses 4 and 5, he speaks of a proper presentation. Uh, How do we walk? How do we please God? What is the ought to here? Walking and pleasing God. How do we do it? The presentation of ourselves among the world. Verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own Life, his own body, in sanctification. Same word, holiness. In sanctification and honor. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Our world today operates under the slogan that if it feels good, do it. Well, and as it regards sexual purity, that seems to be uh, that we are to present ourselves rather apart from lust. Apart from the impurity, let each of you know how to possess his own body in being set apart, in holiness, in honor, not in passion of lust, the possession of lust, lust possessing you, but rather in holiness. Why? In the world, even as the Gentiles who do not know God. The unbelieving world. Not talking, often the scripture used Gentiles to describe unbelievers or heathen. There's to be a difference. That's what practical sanctification is. How is your life, dear Christian, different from an unbeliever's life in the realm, 1 Thessalonians 4, in the realm of sexual purity, sexual relations? The the butcher, the baker, the banker, the barber, do they see you as someone that has a sanctified life? Do they know there's a difference in your life? Among the world. But then he he said, flee from it, abstain from it. He said, present yourself in the world uh, as Christ's, set apart unto Him. And verse 6, with a proper reputation. Reputation is what others think of you. Character is what you really are. But if you are what you really are, you'll have the right reputation. You'll strive for that. Well, what's your reputation? Verse 6, he says that no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this matter. He's condemning adultery is what he's doing, but he's showing the Lord's wrath against this because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we forewarned and testified. Folks, a reputation can take a lifetime to build, but a moment to destroy. And if you're not set apart under the Lord, progressively, day by day, this is an area where you'll stumble and fall, and it'll ruin reputation. It'll harm reputation. Be mindful of the life that we live before others and seek to guard our reputation. Have a character that is conformed to the image of Christ. Then, verses 7 and 8, he talks of uh, our walk and our pleasing God. We we have a proper obligation. Verse 7, 
For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. And he concludes in verse 8 with this, that God's given believers who may say, I don't know that I can live like that. Everybody's doing it. Young people often get pressured by their peers. And and everybody's doing it. But if you're a child of God, look what you have. Verse 8 says, Therefore, he who, who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us His Holy Spirit. You can. Live a life of purity. You can live a life of sanctification. Sexual immorality frustrates. Before marriage, impurity frustrates. The world says today, well, you've got to know them and you better know them before you marry them and such. No, God says be pure. God has a standard, a command. Paul said, as God commanded you, that you know the commandments given through the Lord Jesus Christ. God's Word speaks to these areas. And this is one area of life. God has given believers His Holy Spirit to the third person of the Trinity so that you can, dear child of God, you can live a sanctified life. You may have fallen in this area. And I believe this is a specific concern at Thessalonica, but I believe also it's a specific concern in Belmont. That we're seeing the lowering of standards in our culture. We're hearing all kinds of justifications for uh, cohabitation, uh, bef- living together before marriage, that we justify it. We're seeing all kinds of justifications for premarital sexual relations. But the Word of God speaks to this issue specifically. Even your sanctification. The exhortation avoids sexual immorality. The enablement comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And you say, well, preacher, I failed. Or in your heart, in your mind. You don't have to say it to me. You're your own priest, aren't you? You go directly to God and what? First John tells us the blood of His Son cleanses us of all sin. First John 1.9 says to confess. It means to agree with God. Don't try to justify it, rationalize it and say, well, he stepped out on me, she stepped out on me, and so I did it back. Or, well, I just wasn't happy and I know God wants me to be happy. No, God wants you to be holy. And He calls us to that and enables us. But if you failed in that area, don't rationalize or justify it. Confess. And rely upon the Holy Spirit of God to lead you. Most of us are old married folks here, aren't we? Many listening are old married folks. Folks, there's no realm where you reach and you say, "Ah, I don't need that anymore. It may not be a struggle in your life. Folks, what goes in the mind will eventually come out the mouth, come out the body. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Some folks are peddling in pornography in what they read or listen to. In the mind, you're the greatest... Our mind is, is, is a big organ. And be careful. Be careful. The Word of God speaks specifically to the issue of sanctification. 
It's spoken of in general terms, and it's spoken of in a specific area that certainly was plaguing them and us. This morning I'd ask you the question, are you sanctified? If you've trusted Christ positionally, yes, you are. You're set apart unto Him. He's declared you righteous. He's in part imputed to you the perfect holiness of Christ. But then I ask you as well, are you sanctified daily? Are you being set apart to Him? Or in the right tense, are you being sanctified? Are you being sanctified? And, uh, and the answer to that, only you can answer. Only God can answer for you. Ultimately, will you be sanctified? Absolutely, if you're God's child. Praise the Lord for that final glorification. And it's all only through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and suffered for our sin. The wrath of God was poured out upon Him that we might be declared the righteousness of God in Him. Are you trusting Him? He's called you to a certain life, a certain standard. Salvation isn't just getting a a free ticket to heaven or a free ticket out of hell. Salvation is a life lived, or Christ living that life through you. That's what He's called us to. Let's be sanctified. We may have some misunderstandings about that word and that doctrine, but it's what God has called us to. May we heed His word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the scripture and for this wonderful teaching on uh, holiness and what you've called us to as your children. I pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, lost people today would see they can't be holy in their own efforts, in their own power, in their own strength. They can't be good enough before a perfect and righteous God. They need the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered the penalty for all of our sin on the cross of Calvary. I ask today, Lord, that you would prick every lost soul's heart and show them their need of holiness. No holiness, no heaven. Let them see their need of holiness and that Jesus is the only one that can provide it positionally. But we that are believers, Father, may we see today that you've shown us how we ought to walk and how we ought to please you. This may hurt as you poke and prod in our life and in our conscience, may we be obedient unto you. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.